so here's test time. You ready? I'm going to show you a picture of a famous person, and you tell me what product they are a spokesman for. Okay? First one. Don't tell me the name of the person. The spokesman for Nike. How many said Nike in your head? Okay, y'all, this is good. But that's old, right? He's been doing that for a long time. Next one. Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers. State Farm up here. I hear State Farm kind of scattered around here. Okay. State Farm Insurance. Now, what football has to do with State Farm Insurance? Not sure. Next screen. Okay, this one bothers me some. Some of you younger people uh, will, uh, will not know who this is. Col do you all know who this is, college people? Have no clue who this is. Okay. Okay, so there's a Joe name. I don't know why you would know that, except for he's now on a commercial for... Medicare Advantage plans. I, I'm not a fan of that commercial, but I want to call and check my zip code anyway. So next screen, next screen. Anybody know who this is? It's Flo from Progressive. Yeah, very good. So one more. Anybody know? She's got a Soviet name I cannot pronounce. But you know who, who what commercial? AT&T. So either they're really good with their commercials or you live a very boring life and know all this. But it's amazing how powerfully effective sticking somebody on a commercial that we come to know and associating them with a product. You can name it. No matter where you go, you will name these people or at least know exactly what they're advertising. And what we're going to be talking about today is that God does the same thing. This tactic is very effective. People that you come to trust and know, and then you associate them with a product. God did the same thing. I want, I want to try to test your mind in this. When God, was trying, uh, when, when God was trying to get the message of his gospel and his love for humanity out into the world, he picked certain people for it called apostles. Now, when one of them took his own life and they needed to replace him, we learned what the qualifications for a person to be an apostle was. Anybody remember what they were? Been with Jesus, seen him, heard him. I want to know that your life has been impacted by, and you've got to have seen the resurrected Jesus in particular. You must have seen the resurrected. You've got, uh, the, people have got to know when they listen to you, it's from someone who's been there, experienced it, and can attest to it. And that's the people he chose to be an apostle, but not just an apostle, but writer of the New Testament. Because what God knows is that forever and ever, God's people are going to want to have confidence, to have full awareness, this really happened. Lives are really changed. The gospel really has power. And he doesn't want it built on a flimsy basis of hearsay. Your faith, when built on Scripture, is not hearsay. It is words straight from a witness who saw it, heard it, and their life was changed by it. God does not want you to have to trust in very flimsy evidence. And so he says, I want people who've known it and their lives have been changed by it. And Paul becomes one of these as well. In 1 Timothy chapter 1 that was just read so well a moment ago, it's, it's Paul given this commercial. 
but it's not a normal commercial. We think of a commercial as a, for the faith as I'm trying to appeal to you to get this product. And Paul is saying you need to get this gospel and become a Christian. But that's not what's happening here. Now God does do that. God does use Paul that way. In the book of Acts, he uses him that way a lot. But you know it's a powerful image because what God says is he's not going, I want somebody to be my spokesman, to carry my gospel into a lost world of Gentiles. I want somebody who's a great witness. And what I want is somebody who has a real story of before and after. I want somebody who, who can bear witness to the power of the gospel in a way that is undeniable for everyone who's seen it. And so God starts watching, Jesus starts watching a man named Saul of Tarsus. He starts watching this guy, and he is impressive. He loves God, but he's totally wrong on what he is believing as the will of God. He's totally wrong and opposed to it. And Paul, in this passage, describes himself in three ways. I want you to see it. First of all, he's a blasphemer. This means he uses his mouth to undermine the authority of Paul is one who blasphemes the truth. While these people are saying the Christian gospel is true, Paul is over here slandering it and saying it's not true in a very violent way. But he, he doesn't just leave it at words. The second word is he's a persecutor. He takes those words and he actualizes them and he goes after them. He goes after them to hunt them down. He gets these letters he kind of gets these tags to go Christian hunting all over the, the, the known world, and he becomes a persecutor. But at the third word is the worst of all, insolent opponent. That's what the ESV says. You're arrogant, you won't listen to anybody else, and you absolutely go in hatred for people. That's in Romans chapter 1. That's the only other time this word is used. Here's how he illustrates it in Acts 26, the second time he tells the story. He says, I myself was convicted, convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to the foreign cities. Not talking about quietly in one location. We get a very graphic scene in Acts chapter 7 when he's there holding the coats of all these people and he's cheering them on. Pick up another rock, pick up another rock, get him really good, make sure he's dead. That's Saul of Tarsus in Jerusalem. The believers start to be terrified and they scatter throughout the known world taking the gospel with them because Saul goes on assault. He wants to absolutely tear out the Christian movement. But one day, you know the story, he's walking toward and he's drooling at the potential prey that he has in Damascus when the Lord arranges a personal meeting face to face. He forces an introduction Rather than simply watch Saul pile up the wrath of God, Jesus has a meeting with him face to face, striking him blind for three days. And as Paul says it, he displays his perfect patience. That ignorance that Paul had of the gospel's truth 
would be overwhelmed by the grace and the truth and the faith of Jesus appearing to him because God realized this is an ideal spokesman, a great commercial representative for the gospel and its power. How could God show really obstinate people that God loves them and he's patiently waiting on them? He does it through Paul. Well, you know what happens. He's blind for three days and suddenly God comes to Ananias and he says something to him. Ananias, I want you to go to Paul. I want you to go to Saul and talk to him. And Ananias says, you know, Lord, I've heard from many, many people about not just from one, but from every corner of the world. I hear everything about this man, how much evil he's done to you and your saints in Jerusalem. And he's already having authority right now from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. You know, Lord, I really don't want to do this, Ananias says. I don't like this idea. This is a little creepy to me. And what does God say to him? Go. I have chosen him to be my spokesman in a commercial. Instrument of mine, chosen by me to carry my name before the Gentiles, kings, and children of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. I'm signing him up as my spokesman, but he won't get paid. He will pay as he does this. He's an unpaid spokesman. This is before he ever became a Christian. God's already decided this. God's already handed him a job before he even becomes a believer in him. Now here's where the question comes. And by the way, the after picture of Paul looks like this. No longer is he blaspheming the truth, he's proclaiming that truth. Next day, unbelievable. He not, no longer persecutes the church. He plants churches. He doesn't, he's not an opponent now to the church. He's a passionate servant of the church. How do you explain such a drastic change? There's one answer, Paul says. It's the gospel, what God does in it. But here's the interesting thing about it. All this could be a great commercial that we put at the end of a sermon and call it our invitation and draw people to him. And everybody says, wow, if the gospel can change him, it can change anybody. But it's not a commercial for the unsaved. He's writing this story again to Timothy. How well does Timothy know Paul? Anybody know? He calls him his son in the faith. They've traveled miles together. Timothy knows this story. Why does he need to hear it again? Not only that, but if he's going to have him urge the church from that story, does the church know Paul? Does the church in Ephesus know Paul? He planted that church. He invested three years in it. He's been there since then. And Paul knows this church. The church knows him. Why does he need to tell the story again? What is the point of the testimony? It's a reprimand. It's a reprimand. Paul is over the top proud of the gospel. He can't not talk about it. He is one who absolutely knows what it can do for people because he absolutely knows what it did in him. He's convinced of its power. All The jury is not meeting and deliberation. What do we think about the gospel? The jury came back a long time ago with a unanimous verdict. This gospel is true and changes lives. But what he realizes is Timothy 
has gone timid and the church has gone stale. So he says to them in the centerpiece of this passage on the next screen, this saying, I know from experience, this saying is trustworthy. You can build your church on this. You can build your life on it. We have no business backing off of this, wondering, is this really true? This is trustworthy. You can build your life on it. This is trustworthy. It's worthy of your entire confidence and trust and life. It's worthy of you giving everything for it and putting everything in it, right? That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and he's the only one who can save sinners sinners. You believe that? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Because that, that response is what made him write this letter. I'm worried about y'all. I'm not sure you really believe this with your heart enough to build your life on it because suddenly when I'm telling you to stop these people who are teaching falsehood, you're like, well, I don't know if I want to do that. What? So Paul tells his story again talks about how grateful he is for it. Can I tell you the truth? I, I'm not sure I have the confidence. I'm not sure I'm as grateful for the gospel as I should be. There are times I, I'm kind of skeptical the gospel does all that. I'm kind of skeptical that the gospel is really what would change the world. I'm really skeptical sometimes. I really don't know if what people really need is the gospel. I don't know if I can say that because there's so many other things out there that people are going to, and I'm just, do I really believe the gospel will do this? And not only do I think Timothy was suddenly timid, but the church was suddenly unconvinced. They weren't certain. They were, I think they've gotten casual with the hold they have on the gospel and what they believe. Do you really think, church, that this gospel that we believe is the only way the world can be set right? Do you really believe that? Because if we did, wouldn't we behave a little different than we actually do? He's there's a flagging passion. What do, you, what do you do about this, though? And he's demonstrating what you do about it. What we do about it, a flagging confidence, uh, this, this sense of a staleness in our trust in the gospel as the one thing that God uses to save the world is to tell our stories. We just told a story a moment ago as we gathered around the table and that we were led in the story of what Jesus has done for us. It's the centerpiece of everything we're gathered here for. That's for sure. But, but sometimes, y'all, we need to have our own story. Paul tells his story. I believe the way Paul recounted the story is exactly how it happened. I believe Paul existed, and he's the reason we have much of the New Testament. And I'm proud of Paul, and I believe Paul believed in the gospel that much. But I also think we need to tell our own story stories. And it won't always be dramatic like Paul's, but we need to tell them anyway. We need to collect stories. We need to gather as people, and I need to get your story. 
And as we get into each other's lives, that's what makes this fellowship so important. Listen, when you go away and you start visiting different churches that you've never, you don't know who these people are, you'll never see them again, it still has meaning and significance. But can I tell you, what really gives it meaning to come together at Valley View is I know a few more stories than my own. And I get the story, and I believe the gospel means everything to Randy Carlton. I believe he practices his, his, his doctor stuff here in, in a certain way because he believes the gospel. I believe he believes it. And we gather, I draw strength from his story. And I get this from David Sluter, too, when he gets up and he leads prayers. And I get this from all of you. I'm looking at Dennis right now, and I've, I've, uh, he's, he's been over at my house to work on AC units enough to get the story of his faithfulness and his family. And I, I draw strength from that story, and I believe it, and I keep it alive. And we get here on Sunday mornings, and maybe we've, our confidence in the gospel is flagged a little bit during the week. And we get here on Sundays, and one look at some of you, and I believe it again. We have to maintain our confidence in and our gratitude for this gospel that saved us. God help us if we ever lose this. And here's what Paul demonstrates in this passage. If we maintain our gratitude, if we maintain our pride in what God has done for us in this gospel, we won't worry about the costs. We are going to suffer in this world. Paul knew that Timothy would. Paul had his own experiences. Just look at Paul's body for a minute. Look at the scars, that rock, one of the several that was thrown to him, right, outside Lystra. The whippings that he's got, look at his back. You have got a body on display of the sufferings that could await you if you actually attest to the gospel in your life. And that's not what we're going to face. I know that. But I do know that we will face suffering, and it will cost us something. And the question becomes, and here's, here's the one that I want to say to us. I understand all about Paul and his world, and I get that. But here's, here's what Paul would say. The cost is part of the proof of its worth. And if it doesn't cost you anything, that's how much your faith is worth to you. And that's, you start piling up this evidence. And so here's what we say to our kids. And you all know this is true. You're asking your kids, teenagers in junior high and high school who become Christians, we say to them, I want you to wear Christ in your, church, in your school all day long. And you know as well as I do, if they really do it, it will cost them something. They'll be made fun of. They'll be prejudiced against. They will face opposition. And you are asking your kids to voluntarily put Jesus on, take him to school, and demonstrate him to their friends. Is that really true? Am I overstating the case? Is that what you're asking? Hey, church, is that what you're asking? If that's what you're asking, how can we expect them to pay the cost? Do you know what it's going to cost them? You know. You know as much as anybody. How do we expect them to be willing to pay that cost? There's only one way, Paul says. They better be grateful. They better be so grateful for what God has done for them in Christ that when they pay a cost for it, it's a cost they're willing to bear. 
Otherwise, when the cost gets so high, they'll shed it. And Paul says, I've paid too much for this to be bashful about it anymore. (laughs) We maintain our gratitude for the gospel. We will passionately praise God for what Jesus did for us in Christ. This passage, when he's, I think Paul, he's pacing back and forth, and he's got like amanuensis is what they call it. It's just a secretary that writes down his words. Paul's not writing. And as he's talking about what God has done for him in Christ in the gospel, he cannot help but spew out verse 17. Do you see verse 17? He just can't help it. It's not part of what his plan was, I'm sure. And he says, To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. He can't refrain from breaking out in a worship service in the middle of writing a letter to a friend. He didn't debate whether he should be on the hill at 9 o'clock for worship or 10 o'clock for worship. He didn't debate it. He didn't sit and go, should I go, should I not? Let's just, oh, how do we feel? He doesn't. His inside appreciation and gratitude drove him up the hill. How dare you try to keep him from it? Gratitude. And we're not just talking about I'm going to sing the song. It's a passionate outburst of praise. That's what people who are grateful do. We praise God this way. So yesterday, you're watching the the Hogs play Alabama and the officials. And as you're watching, there are certain times... It doesn't matter if you're in the crowd. If you're in the crowd, I'm sure it's really amazing. But if you're not in the crowd, you know exactly when it's appropriate to go, Woo, pig, soy, right? You know when to do it. No one is putting up a little, a little video in your house that says, Now you should, woo, pig, suey. Nobody tells you when. There's not a class, I don't think, at Arkansas about when you woo, pig, suey. It doesn't do that. You don't get nine hours of credit to try to, okay, here's, we're going to train you. How do we do? No, you know when because it's driven from inside. Your Razorback fandom just, just tells you when. And what Paul says is, listen, no one has to beg you. You don't need elders to come to your house saying, get back to worship. No, no, no. Nobody from the outside has to drag you up the hill. Something from the inside makes you come. That's called gratitude for the gospel. But sometimes it wavers, doesn't it? I admit, it wavers. And Paul's seeing it waver with Timothy in this church. And he's saying, I want to build you up in this. If we're to maintain our gratitude and our confidence in this gospel, we won't let anything keep us from proclaiming it and embodying it. Paul, in this passage, says, I am a display. Do you get that? Verse 16 I received mercy from him, and I become a display. You know what a display is? You know what a display is. You go to a store, and it's, it's the mannequin. It's what it will look like, what you'll look like if you buy this outfit. Or it, It's a display. It's a billboard along the side of the highway that tells you where this business is. And, and Paul says, the moment I received his mercy, this grace that overwhelmed me with faith and with love, I became a display for God. And I want to go around living for him. And I'm displaying the patience 
There are some people who think they're so obstinate and their life is so messed up and they've done so many wrong things that there's no way that God could be patient with them and overcome them. And Paul says, not, 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 not so fast. Let me tell you my story. Were you a blasphemer, persecutor, and an insolent, arrogant man? You can never do so bad that God's not patient enough to come after you anyway. You can't. And Paul is the billboard. This little strawny man, they say, had one eyebrow, and he was very short. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what the evidence, that's what kind of like the first century stuff says, or second century stuff. And he's on a billboard, and everybody knew him. And, and it's like, if God can change him, he can change anybody. And that's what he's saying. But he's saying this to Christians, and he's reminding them, you become the billboard. If you've been blessed by the gospel, you become a billboard for the gospel. People should be able to look at you and learn something about God. That's what Paul says. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, listen to this. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. He took care of our sin and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the entire world to himself, not counting their sins against them, and entrusting to us the message of re reconciliation. So therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. Do you know how God appeals to the world to love him and come to him for salvation? He does it through us. We're the billboard. How good is a billboard for you? You won't be able to stop it because here's the deal. The moment you come out of the waters of baptism, you're on the clock for being a billboard. You're on the clock, and God's using you to reach the world. One more thing, and it's probably the real reason he wrote. When you have this great pride in the gospel and this confidence, you will not be able to put up with counterfeits. You'll jealously protect that gospel. Last week was a really unclear sermon. I'll tell you this. I went back and watched. It's really unclear. But let me explain what I think Paul is saying here about that first part. There were people teaching stuff in the church that wasn't directly gospel. And Paul says, you've got to stop that because the only thing that saves is gospel. And if something doesn't save, it doesn't need to be in the church. You don't need to let people teach stuff that's pop psychology. Pop psychology can be helpful, can be supplemental to illustrate the truth, but it cannot replace. A list of rules cannot be preached and replace the gospel. The law cannot replace the gospel. Paul knows this because he says, you know what? I blamelessly kept the law all my life, and I was still lost, and I still needed Jesus. So don't tell me the law saves and so he says, Timothy, when they start teaching like that, you stand up and stop them. And Timothy's going, where am I going to find the inner strength to stop this? Paul says, in the gospel, love it enough to be jealous when somebody teaches something different. If somebody gets in the podium up here and teaches politics as if somehow we're going to politic ourselves out of our messes in this life, you need to stop them. Politics is not our hope. 
And you go on Facebook, it's not red or blue or red or whatever color you want, unless it's the red of Jesus. It can't save you. It doesn't belong in the church's teaching. We've got to protect jealously the place the gospel holds in our lives. All this because he's proud of it. So grateful we should be for the gospel that you don't let your families become so distracted by other things that the gospel works its way to the back seat. Can't let that happen. Whatever else starts to fill our eyes and our allegiance starts being compromised, out of gratitude for the gospel, you've got to put it back right. The gospel has to be the centerpiece for us. The gospel becomes the backseat to nothing else. What Paul knew was that Timothy had this challenge. How's Timothy going to preach when very few people respond? How's Timothy going to live the Christian life when he's going to be persecuted because of it? How's Timothy going to protect the church when there's so many alternate teachings that want to go on right there in the church? How's he going to do it? And Paul says the only way you're going to do it is have a robust pride in what what the gospel's done. That's how you maintain it. The only thing powerful enough to keep the gospel central is for us to be grateful for it and proud of it. And the way we do that is rehearsing the story. The story of Jesus, your own story of what he has done in your life to itemize all the blessings you've received from it. And then to get to church and to get in each other's lives and figure out what the gospel has done in your life. And I hear what it's done in your life and I'm amazed anew and I'm a grateful even more deeply because I see what it's done in your life. And as we share these stories, it sinks in deep, and we get this pride, and it helps us to hang on to it for dear life. Let me show, as we close, some more pictures. These are pictures of people who, when I see them, I think of the gospel and what Jesus has done. First one. Dot Bird. I appreciated so many of you holding up your arms on Wednesday night saying, I'll pray for her. Somebody said, I I held up my hand, but I can't remember who it was. So they texted me and said, what's her name? And I'm so grateful for that because you didn't know her. In a big congregation, we can't know everybody unless you try really hard. Let me tell you, it's worth the time to get to know this lady. Her name is Dot Bird, and she is now out of pain, at least for right now. But let me tell you, you sit across from her and see what all she does. She had this prayer list. She, can't, she doesn't, can't write as much anymore, at least at that time, but she had a prayer list, and at the top corner was my name. You better believe that made an impression. But here's what I know about Dot Bird. When I leave from talking about her, talking to her, I'm grateful for the gospel. It's amazing the impact. She, when I see her, I think Jesus. Next one. When I see this family, I think Jesus. They're a billboard for the truth. Next one. This is going to surprise you a little bit, but Clint's a little rough around the edges. Have you noticed that? Little? One of the best families I know. And every time I see them, every time I think of them, I'm grateful for the gospel that makes this family. That's what God asks us to do. Next one. Homeschool. And you think, limited interaction with people, right? Wrong. 
been in their house before, and I, we walk away, Melissa and I both, we left that house thinking, I am so grateful for the gospel. And when I see them, it just makes me grateful for the gospel. Them too, I like them too, but I like God a lot because of them. Next one. This one, it's not a... It's, it's a picture I snapped one time, and I have learned this lady is amazing, and yet you wouldn't know it, but my wife in particular, just, she just says, she blesses my life. She is one that makes me think of the gospel. Next one. I know that's really weird. I know you're sitting there going, how in the world, right? I spend more time with him than probably anybody here, and I can tell you this, you've never heard a prayer until you hear Daryl Hyde pray. He's in the hospital right now at NEA with some stuff so i'm safe in saying this without him ever finding out he is one of the coolest christians i've ever met you wouldn't believe it but the people who know him they know the gospel and appreciate it because of him next one this family they work in nea and every time i'm there visiting a patient i ask about them and they are they are outstanding christian people are so faithful and when i i just my appreciation for the gratitude, gratitude for the gospel goes up when I see him. Next one. That was going to surprise some of y'all. He's been in our college group for a long time, and I don't do a whole lot with him. But I, this guy makes me grateful to be in the kingdom of God. And this next family, I, it's gonna, I'm going to swallow my teeth to do it, right? I just... But in the, the last few weeks, what I've noticed, I, I've done a, just a little digging on them, just a little bit, and, and the work they put into the lives of people making them better, I am so proud of the gospel because of y'all. And the people I'm looking at, your job is to so love and so know the truth of the gospel and appreciate it, that you act in a way that others go, something about you, and when they learn it, they learn the gospel because of you. You are the spokesman. You are the Michael Jordan of the gospel for the world that we live in. And there's so many of you in here that just build up my confidence in the gospel and I need you there are weeks when it's really important and there are other weeks going strong but even when I see a Tony Pearson and others that I see here the Lee Blongs back here and Tyson talked about him this week and being with Bill Berry's family and I just these are people you are people that build up the confidence in the gospel not just in your life and to witnessing people but to the church we need the stories and when we come together i see the story when i look at you and i praise god because of you and may we all have a stronger faith because of each other if there's anyone here who's never responded to the gospel you're missing out you've got a whole bunch of people here who are bearing witness to the truth and the power of the gospel not only does it save but it transforms our lives and we would have it no other way and if there's anything we could say to you it's this trust us the gospel is powerful, and it saves. And if you want to find out for yourself, name the name of Jesus, be immersed in the waters of baptism, rise to walk a new life, and stay with us. We're going to help you, and you're going to help us. If that's how you need to respond, we'd love to see it as we stand and as we sing to encourage you.